Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of everything under The Last Symptom banner. I'm coming to you tonight with one eye that is practically swollen shut. And I'll bet you're wondering why I'm recording this with one eye that's half swollen shut. Well, you see, there was uh, this enormous guy with great big old bulging muscles who was picking on this little old lady here in my, my town. And I stepped up to him and I said, Pardon me there, mister, but you can't be treating little old ladies that way. And before I knew it, he turned around and punched me so hard that I flew backwards and uh, my body left an indent in the brick wall behind me. Well, as you can imagine, I was mighty sore about that, and, and I ain't just talking about my joints. So I peeled myself off the brick wall, and then I jumped into him, and as this cloud of furied activity went on, with a fist or a foot appearing out of the dust here and there ever so often, along with these little cartoon stars, I finally got the upper hand on him, and uh, I had him down on the pavement with his fat leg bent up behind his ear, and he started slapping the sidewalk and calling for his mother between clenched teeth. So I let him go, but only, only after he apologized to the little old lady. Miss Crabtree is her name. She works down at the old corner drugstore. So he apologized to Miss Crabtree. But uh, that sure did not help my eye none. I'm still sitting here with it swollen half shut. <clears throat> All right, I reckon that uh, now you want me to tell you the real reason my eye is swollen. Well, truth is, I had a sty, uh, yeah, a sty in my in my lower eyelid, which was just a bear to deal with. And at some point along the way, thinking that my eye was already mostly better from this, I rubbed it pretty good with my finger because it was itching me. And I think that that spread the infection up into the upper eyelid. So now I've got this uh, upper eyelid that's all swollen and red. But uh, if anybody asks, you tell them the first story, okay? Not the second one, the first one. Anyway, I finally broke down, and I saw a doctor today, and she prescribed me some things, 
and I ain't kidding, within two hours after taking these prescribed antibiotics, I could already feel my eyes starting to get better. So, God willing, and the crick don't rise, I should, should have a halfway normal looking face within a day or two. But thank goodness you can't see me at the moment. I'll tell you what I look like. I look like Disney's Quasimodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's, that's just what I look like. Today's topic is going to be healthy perspectives will not make you become socially withdrawn. It's a response to a recent post on The Last Symptom, official Facebook education group. But before we get into that, let me tell you about TheLastSymptom.com. This is my website where all my work is centered. There are plenty of free resources there for those who don't want to or can't spend any money, and I hope you'll take advantage of these provisions. Of course, if you have the means and the hankering to support my overall body of work with a donation, I hope you will. You can do that right from TheLastSymptom.com. Links to The Last Symptom, official Facebook education group, which I just mentioned a second ago, is available right there at thelastsymptom.com if you are interested in joining that group. It's a healthy library of conversations and information. Free, free information. Just be sure to answer the mandatory questions to get in. Some of the paid services I offer over at thelastsymptom.com are one-on-one personal phone conversations or Zoom conversations with me. And now, something entirely new. A vastly superior replacement for DBT. I call it the Last Symptom Fundamentals Course. And it is now available for enrollment at thelastsymptom.com in the Paid Services tab. This two-week prepaid intensive course is an incredible opportunity for you to establish a solid, healthy foundation of insights in your efforts to authentically recover from borderline personality disorder or indeed any other emotional disorder. It's in a structured, fine-tuned format. I currently have a handful of people taking the course, and I'm getting great positive feedback. As soon as the newest graduates finish the course, I'll begin inviting some of them on to talk about the experience. But in the meantime, if the last symptom, fundamentals course, is something that you're on the fence about, I invite you to listen to the very last episode of this podcast In Season 2, so that's the last episode of Season 2, that whole episode featured various participants of the live format of of the the same course. So uh, you get to hear them talk about the experience and about uh, how it's different from just listening to this podcast every week, which I, I, I hope you'll continue to do. So... Give that two-week prepaid course a chance. Uh, I really designed it to make a big difference in your life. Now, I've been meaning to record kind of a, a free introduction that anybody who runs over to that course website will be able to view to kind of get an idea of the nature of it and everything. 
And I just haven't been able to because I've been walking around looking like the hunchback of Notre Dame. So as soon as my eye gets goes back to normal, I'm going to record that segment and, and post it on there. Don't want to do it right now because I don't want to scare you all away. But, uh, yeah, as soon as my face looks normal again, that's what I'm going to do. Another option for you is to run over to uh, The Last Symptom official YouTube channel because I have posted one chapter from this structured pre-recorded online course that you can view for free. It's called uh, Sneak Peek, I think is the title of it. Sneak Peek chapter such and such of the Last Symptom Fundamentals course. So that there's another option for you. Last week... I mentioned a couple of cultural drinks that I've been exposed to in my life, and I wanted to quickly tell you about, about another one. How many of you have heard of the drink Morir Soñando? Morir Soñando. This is a Dominican drink that literally means to die dreaming. And yeah, it really is that good. And the way it is made is so interesting that I just could not not tell you about it. So imagine, if you will, what naturally happens to milk when you pour orange juice into it. Well, because of the acid in the orange juice, you know what happens. The milk curds up. So you might be surprised to know that this Dominican drink I'm telling you about Morir soñando is indeed made by mixing orange juice with milk. Yeah, ain't that interesting? And it's done in such a way that the milk has to be continually stirred as the orange juice is poured slowly in so that instead of curding, you instead get a rich, creamy drink that tastes like a creamsicle. If I'm not mistaken, some Cane sugar is usually added too, but indeed, what you end up with is a drink that tastes like a creamsicle, or what we call creamsicles here in the United States. It's so, so good. So be on the lookout for the opportunity to try Morir Soñando in your neighborhood. Maybe visit any Dominican restaurants that you might know of and, and request it special. Or track down somebody with Dominican friends or family and and make a special request for it. You won't regret it. Recently, a member of the Last Symptom Facebook education group posted the following. It feels I've stopped ignoring my feelings lately. And I have learned to understand them as to what they are after 20 years of age. A message. They are relevant. It's very amazing. Initially, it felt counterintuitive. But many things actually fell into place. I became a a very high-functioning person in my job, personal life, projects. Before this process, my way of thinking crippled me. It took a lot of energy to do minor things. Jobs and business were highly difficult. And I was perceived as a loser by my previous boss. Now I am very active and able to do things with my full potential without forcing myself. I don't get controlled by feelings while ignoring them. 
I can always choose my response. I know my feelings are inherently important, at least for me. But there is a huge downfall. I've become socially withdrawn because I don't, cannot, care. In my previous workplace, people perceived me as a fake person with attitude. When I was emotionally unstable a year or so ago, I only showed feelings I chose to show. But now I reveal my authentic feelings, which I think portrays me as arrogant and lands me in conflict with higher authorities. So I have adopted by living alone without any personal relationships and doing things on my own. It's very stable, but it also feels very unhealthy. So a lot of good things in that. But some corrections to make as well. So let's get into it. This is my uh, response. Thank you for this post. First of all, congratulations on the progress you've made in recognizing that your feelings are messages and that they matter. Yeah, your feelings always matter. Just like feeling a tap on your shoulder always matters. You know, you have to turn around. And see where that tap on the shoulder's coming from and why. I like the subtle point he made here that uh, at least for me, he says, at least for me, my feelings are inherently important. This was a nice observation. You see, not everybody is going to see value in our feelings. That don't mean that our feelings don't have value. Consider this, do you know what it means when other individuals do not perceive value in the feelings of another person? Think about that. What does it mean when some individual does not perceive value in the feelings of other people? Well, what it means is that they don't perceive any inherent value in their own feelings either. Have you thought about that? Reverse it, and it's just as true. Those who do not perceive inherent value in their own feelings also do not look out at the world and perceive value in the feelings of others. So, when you encounter those who place no value on your feelings, on what it is you're feeling, remind yourself of why that is. You see, they don't even value their own feelings as being relevant or important. Isn't that insightful? Yeah, you could sit and think about that for a bit. So, it's true that uh, folks like this may be powerfully controlled and manipulated by their feelings. And uh, yes, their feelings may be the cause of all their behaviors and selfishness. You know, I've got people that uh, they write to me. They say, well, you say that uh, people with emotional disorder, they view their feelings as uh, not important, but my feelings control everything about me. Whatever I feel, it just my feelings get so intense, and it's all I can think about. Yes, that's true. It's true that you're being powerfully controlled and manipulated by your feelings. It's true that your feelings are the cause of your poor behaviors, and your selfishness. But not consciously. You see, consciously 
folks like this are viewing their feelings as an inconvenience, as a, sort of an irrelevant aspect of their lives. It, it doesn't factor into anything the way they feel. It doesn't factor into anything to uh, the decisions they're making or whatever, right? They're just being controlled and pushed along by their feelings. They believe that they themselves are in charge of making all of the decisions in their life and that their feelings are just this sort of abstract sensation happening in the background. And if you start asking them questions to get to the heart of what it is they are truly feeling deep down, what will happen? What will happen? They will deflect. They'll crack jokes. They'll attack you. You see, they become like cornered animals wanting only to get out of that uncomfortable situation. Some of you listening here might be feeling that right now. You might know exactly what I'm talking about. When somebody pushes you, You've got to deflect, don't you? Crack a joke. Uh, and if they persist, you start getting mighty uncomfortable, don't you? You start getting angry. You start getting irritated. You want to you wanna get away from them. You're feeling uh, kind of uh, accosted, right? Well, why is that? It's because of an underlying perception or belief that your feelings are shameful. You don't want to share those. You don't want to be pressed to share those things. It, it upsets you. It frustrates you. It, it irritates you for people to push too hard on that. So I'm glad that this, the person who made this post recognizes the meaning of inherent when we talk about your feelings inherently mattering. They matter all the time, no matter what. Just like uh, somebody tapping you on the shoulder. Paying attention to the tap on the shoulder matters. <laughs> the tap on the shoulder matters. You don't know why you're getting tapped on the shoulder. You've got to investigate it. Maybe somebody's trying to tell you that there's a, a piano about to fall on your head. I don't know, but you still got you got to turn around. you got to find out who's tapping you on the shoulder and why. What do they want? Whether our parents ever truly valued our feelings or not is totally irrelevant. You see, your feelings still mattered. This is the inherent nature of feelings. Our parents were just ignoramuses who did not perceive their own feelings as important. So how could they view our feelings as important? Or anybody else's feelings is truly important for that matter. And yeah, you think about your parents when you were growing up and they were selfish and everything was about them, right? They were being controlled by their feelings. That does not mean that they perceived their feelings as anything other than shameful. Being controlled by your feelings does not mean you value your feelings. Let me say this about revealing our authentic feelings. Uh, the person here who wrote the, uh, the post that we're responding to here said that a couple years ago, he only shared feelings that he wanted to share, but he kept other feelings private. Well, uh, let me say, with no uncertainty, that that should not change. 
That's exactly the way everybody should continue to do things. If I'm not mistaken, in the post, he, he said that now he just lets it all out. <laughs> and people mistake him as being arrogant. Well, what mistake is he making there? The mistake that he's making is that healthy people don't go around openly sharing all of their authentic feelings with everybody around them. Why not? You know, if feelings are never shameful, why do healthy people reserve some feelings as private? It's because of this. Allowing full open access to our authentic feelings, to our full array of authentic feelings, is called intimacy. <laughs> you see, healthfully, others have to earn the privilege of intimacy with us before we give it. Not everybody deserves or even wants intimacy from us. That's why healthy people don't go around just openly sharing their authentic, their full array of authentic feelings with everybody around them. Basically, if I'm uh, feeling deeply saddened, let's say I've got a bunch of problems in my life, and the clerk at the gas station casually says, Hey, how you doing, buddy? And imagine that I use this as an invitation to dump all my life's deepest concerns on him. Is that appropriate? No, that's not appropriate. We don't know each other. My revealing all of my authentic feelings and personal life to a total stranger who's not really inviting me to do such a thing is not healthy. And if you think about it, it's a violation against the clerk, isn't it? Because I'm forcing intimacy upon him, whether he wants it or not. So the appropriate thing to do in a situation like that is to observe proper social etiquette and give an honest answer in line with the reality of the nature of that relationship or lack of relationship that we have with the clerk. So, you know, it would look something like, hey, buddy, how's your day going? And I'd say, oh, you know, I've had better days, but that's life, ain't it? Yeah, yeah, that's life. And he sells me my uh, hubba bubba chewing gum and my bottle of pop, and uh, that's that. Being emotionally healthy means being self-sufficient, but let's... Let's explore that a little bit more so that we can all be sure that we're on the same page. Being self-sufficient does not mean that we can just conjure all of our needs out of thin air. So, for example, if I need a roll of toilet paper, being self-sufficient doesn't mean that I can just say a chant and a brand new fresh roll of Charmin appears right in front of me. That's not what being self-sufficient means. What it does mean is that I can recognize that I need a roll of toilet paper. And then I can proactively work to get my need met. 
So what can I do? I can go to the store and I can buy myself a roll of toilet paper. What if I don't have money for toilet paper? Well, I'm capable of doing what I need to do to earn enough money to go and then buy myself some toilet paper, aren't I? I'm capable of doing that. I'm smart enough to know that I need to do it. That is self-sufficiency. Even if I have to go to a friend and say, listen, this is really embarrassing, but I don't have money for toilet paper and I'm, I'm plumb out. Can you help a friend out? That is still proactively working to get my need met, ain't it? So in that sense, I'm self-sufficient. So we can't just conjure our needs out of uh, thin air. But here are a few things it does mean. Number one, we can provide our own sympathy, empathy, compassion, patience, care, forgiveness, acceptance to ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? Do you, how often, when you're feeling needy, do you turn to yourself first and say, I'm going to take responsibility for, for fulfilling this need myself? Or do you immediately run out to a therapist or to a, a sympathetic friend? How often do you turn to yourself first? You know, it's an important question because that responsibility primarily belongs to you, you yourself. Did you know that? So we can provide our own sympathy, empathy, compassion, patience, care, forgiveness, acceptance to ourself because this is one of our primary responsibilities that we live with, whether we know it or not. So we don't need others to do it for us. You see, only unhealthy people see other people as being primarily responsible for these things. Number two, we can provide our own intimacy to ourselves first. How, many, how often have you thought about that? You're feeling lonely. How often do you say, boy, I feel lonely. I'm going to spend a day with myself. <laughs> Maybe not something that you thought about, but it is primarily your, it's, it's your primary responsibility, not anybody else's. It's your primary responsibility to provide yourself that, to be the fulfiller of those things yourself, right? It, Everything that you can apply, everything you th can think of that other people provide you and that you go to them for, you should be trying to provide yourself that first. What is intimacy? Well, intimacy is getting to know yourself, right? Or it's, it's allowing another person to see the real you, flaws and all, your authentic feelings, uh, your your weaknesses, things that you perceive are negative about yourself, and yet you let a person in to see those things. Well, intimacy with oneself is, is spending time with oneself and sharing those things with yourself. 
getting to know yourself for real, not how you wish you were, not how you imagine yourself to be, but who you are for real, right? We can provide our own intimacy to ourselves first. And that brings us to number three. When we need intimacy with others, what can we do? Well, we can evaluate who is deserving and trustworthy. And then what can we do? We can cultivate an intimate relationship with those we choose. And, you know, this may take some time. But regardless, we can choose to proactively invest that time. So do you see that in that way, we are being self-sufficient? We're not waiting for somebody else to do it for us or for it to just happen randomly. Number four, we've now provided ourselves with that trusted resource so that from now on, when we're experiencing the need for intimacy with others, what can we do? Well, we can call them up on the phone. We can ask them out for a drink. Uh, we can call them up and say, hey, let's, let's take a walk. I need to take a walk. Or we can, we can call them up and say, will you just come over and, and sit with me for a little bit? I, I just, I'd like to have somebody to talk to. So we haven't conjured anything out of thin air, nor have we unreasonably expected that we can be all that we need in and of ourselves, for ourselves, all of the time. But we are entirely self-sufficient in the sense that we ourselves are attentive to what our needs are, and we ourselves take responsibility for setting up and for fulfilling those needs so that they are met. I hope that everybody can see that becoming socially withdrawn does not come from authentically not caring whether others value your feelings or not. You know, that's the, uh, that's the irony in the post that I'm responding to here. The only reason a person becomes socially withdrawn is when he or she does care what others' opinions are and is, and is afraid of being heard. Now, the person who wrote this post said that he does not care what other people's opinions are, and that's why he's socially withdrawn, because he doesn't care what their opinions are. I'm telling you that that's false. I'm telling you that the only reason a person, be, a person does become socially withdrawn is when he does care what others' opinions are, and he's afraid of being hurt. You see, avoidance is not the same as truly not caring. Avoidance is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> You're avoiding getting hurt by what other people think or by what other people feel or by what other people's opinions are. Personally, as a healthy person myself, I do care what others think of me. You know, I want my feelings to matter to others. And I want to be liked, and I want to be admired. I want to be valued. But here is the most important detail. I don't need 
for anybody to like me in order for me to first like myself. I don't need my feelings to matter to others in order for me to view my own feelings as something that matter. I don't need others to like and value me in order for me to first like and value myself. And what happens once I do like myself and I do view my feelings as mattering and I value me, then what happens? Well, then I'm free. Right? I'm the only person that needs to like any of these things. And once I do, I'm free. Because if it don't matter, if me liking myself is not dependent on whether other people think I'm likable, do you see how I'm free? Because I like myself no matter what. I'm free. I'm free of enslavement to external things. One major giveaway in the post that we're responding to was how the person stated that he can't care. Right? He can't care what other people think. Well, it don't take a rocket scientist to follow that thought through to its end. I can't care because I can't take that risk. I don't want the disappointment and the hurt. So the person who wrote this post, even though making good progress, it seems like, does still care in an unhealthy way what other people think. You see, he's still evaluating himself based on external influences such as what other people's opinions or views are. And this means that he has not yet truly learned to perceive the value of his feelings and his own value correctly on an inherent level. Do you see that as soon as uh, anybody that you are able to do this, perceive your feelings value and your own value truly as inherent in nature, then you're free. Other people's views and opinions to the contrary cannot have any effect whatsoever on what one perceives is an inherent truth. You know, gravity isn't only real because my next-door neighbor believes it's real. (laughs) Right? It's real no matter what he believes. That's the truth about the value of your feelings and of your value, too. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks or believes or what attitudes they walk around with. It doesn't matter if the entire world shares the same perceptions and attitudes. If the attitude that the entire world shares is that your feelings do not have inherent value and that you yourself do not have inherent value, it still doesn't change the reality It does not change the reality that you just do matter, and so do your feelings. If your boss thinks you're a loser, what does that matter as long as you don't think you're a loser? 
You see, once you achieve this adjustment in your perception, you will be free. You will not care what others think in the sense that it doesn't matter what anybody thinks as far as what the reality of your of you just is. But you will healthfully care in the sense that it's nice when others value us. Another interesting, healthy, naturally resulting consequence in this adjustment in your perception will be that whoever does value your feelings and values you as a person, well, those will be the only relevant people in your life. You see, nobody else will be relevant and, and when I say that, I mean as far as how your perception of things are, nobody else will be relevant as far as your perception of things because you will understand that those people exist in ignorance and unhealth. Therefore, their opinions of things like your worth and your feelings worth are totally and utterly irrelevant. You know, it's like... Uh, I don't place value on what somebody who has never in their life been to Spain thinks about what it's like to live in Spain, do I? And why not? Because without having ever lived in Spain, their opinion of what it's like to live in Spain is totally irrelevant. Or how about this? How about somebody who thinks that, uh, that the, the rockets that take astronauts up to the International Space Station, that those rockets should be powered with uh, three AA batteries. Does the scientist who works with the rockets and knows exactly what the escape velocity is to leave Earth, how much energy it takes to lift a rocket, all the cargo that's on that rocket, does he pay any mind to somebody who says, you guys are just wasting all that fuel, you should just use three double-A batteries. Yeah, just stick three double-A Duracell batteries in there. That should do it. Does he even stop <laughs> to entertain what that person's saying? No. And why not? Because he knows that the person is just speaking out of their rear end. They don't know what they're talking about. So it's the same with my feelings. Anybody out there who lives with the attitudes that my feelings are shameful or that uh, I'm shameful, is an unhealthy person. They don't even slightly comprehend the true nature of feelings. So why on earth would their opinion about my feelings have any effect on me? It wouldn't, and it doesn't. The same with walking into a room full of people. All right, It would be nice if I walked into applause into every room full of people that I visit. But I don't evaluate my worth on such a thing. You see, if there are people in that crowd who are thinking critically of me, their attitudes and opinions simply aren't relevant at all. You see, nobody's opinion is relevant whatsoever as far as what my value as a person just is. They either understand the value I live with, or they don't. And if they don't, nothing they have to say about it is relevant to me. You see, it, it just totally frees you. 
So it doesn't cause you this, this, un, this accurate understanding about inherent worth, the inherent worth that your feelings have and the inherent worth that you just have. This doesn't cause you to self-isolate. You see, it has the exact the exact opposite effect. It frees you. It allows you to freely go out and interact with the world because none of the myriads of opinions and thoughts out there have any bearing whatsoever on your perception of what is simply your inherent value as a person and the value in the things that you feel. And I'm right there with uh, with all of you. I used to, well, let's put it this way. What other people thought of me and other per- people's perceptions of me used to be overwhelmingly on my mind all the time. But why was that? It was because I thought my value came from them. Now that I understand that my value doesn't come from anybody, it, even if everybody listening to this show right now hates my guts, it doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on my value as a person at all. So people are free to feel whatever they feel. They're free to have whatever opinions they want to have about me. And that's fine, but it doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on just the reality that that I have value, you know. And I'm trying to help all you too get to that place. So I appreciated the post. I thought it was a great opportunity to iron some of these things out, and I think we've done that. So today's Thursday for real this time. Last week I recorded on Friday, but today is actually Thursday. And I just want to wish all of you a wonderful weekend. You know what it means. It means you got to do something nice for yourself. You do that when you like yourself, right? You, you do that for anybody that you genuinely like. So it's not a stretch, and it's not unreasonable for you to do it for yourself as well. It doesn't have to cost money. You just have to be uh, thoughtful, thoughtful toward yourself and say, what would she really get a kick out of or what would he really enjoy this weekend and do that for yourself i've been on this diet for now a month a full month and almost two weeks and uh, i've dropped 20 pounds so i'm thinking that i might reward myself this weekend to a pizza and maybe a couple glasses of good old Kentucky bourbon. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, I've already dropped down a couple pant sizes. And that feels good. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I, I have a cheat day, the next day is always a real exercise in self-control to get right back to eating well again, to eating healthy again. So uh, I'm not sure I'm going to go with the pizza and the the bourbon, but uh, it has been calling my name, so we'll see. Well, folks, uh, I want to thank you again for listening to the show. Please seriously consider taking the Last Symptom Fundamentals course. Uh, Everything you need is over there at thelastsymptom.com. 
I understand it's a little bit expensive for some people. It's $450. But I'd just like to remind you that uh, that's the cost of three one-hour phone calls with me. The course gives you about 28 hours, 25 hours, something like that. It's a two-week course. You get access to it for uh, seven months. And uh, it does what I could never do in this show. It does what I could never do in a one-hour phone call, which is lay out the entirety of things for you so that all of these puzzle pieces begin to come together. And then by the end, you've got a solid foundation upon which you can continue to layer upon. So I just wanted to remind you about that again, uh, not to, to hassle you about it or anything like that, but I, the reason why I'm pushing it is because I worked very hard on it, and I think it, it has some really great potential to truly make a difference in your life. So, you know, I'm just trying to be helpful. Ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful weekend. Uh, this is Brian Barnett signing off. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week, I reckon. Same place, same time. <music>